This is Unfinished Business, a weekly discussion show about the business end of web, design and creative industries. The show wouldn't be possible without our fantastic sponsors, Hammer for Mac and FreeAgent. Hammer for Mac is a nifty development tool for designers and developers, and FreeAgent is a web app that helps you with your business accounts. I'll talk about them more later in the show. I'm Anna Devenham, and this week my co-host Andy is letting me take control for the week, and I'm being joined by a very special guest, Rachel Andrew. Hello. Hello. <laughs> it's good to be here. Yeah, how are you doing? I'm all right, yes. Um, um, yes, I'm kind of doing podcasts and talking to people on Skype a lot uh, after breaking my elbow. So <laughs> I'm probably spending more time on Skype in the, in the last sort of week than I've ever, ever spent on Skype in total. <laughs> I feel really bad about that. I saw you tweet, you know, I'm just going out for a run or, or should I stay in bed? And I wish yeah. I'd said, stay in bed. It wouldn't have made any difference. It, the entire internet could have told me to stay in bed or run on the treadmill and I would have still gone out for a run. So, yes. Yeah. I guess you got to stay in bed for a whole week instead. Mm, yeah, in a hospital room, it was great. <laughs> Um, so you're kind of condemned to to doing podcasts and yeah and typing one-handed for the foreseeable future so um, yes talking on on skype i'm not normally one to speak on the phone and, and skype i'd rather email i type fast but at the moment mm-hmm. it's all a bit torturous really <laughs> right so rachel why don't you tell us a bit about you and your business and what you've been doing in the past few years okay so i've been self-employed doing my own business since 2001. Um, before that, I was working for dot-com companies. So for most of that time, we were just a, a small web development consultancy, so working for clients, mostly actually working for design agencies doing their development work. And over well, sort of three and a half years ago, we launched a product, Perch, um, and now really most of what we do is actually um, in support of that product you know, for the development and supporting customers who use it. So we've really moved from being a, a consultancy and working for clients to to selling our own product. But I've got mm-hmm. lots of experience in terms of uh, in terms of business. You know, looking after clients and and dealing with the whole running a business side of things. And I'm, I'm I really enjoyed talking about that sort of stuff. Yeah, and you've written a lot of really useful articles as well about about running a business and um, some of them in response to to this show which has been really nice yeah I mean I think that's that's the hard bit you know you, you're good at something you're good at web design or web development or whatever and then suddenly you've got to deal with all this business stuff as well and yeah. a lot of it's really very complicated you know once <laughs> when it comes down to you know dealing with you know billing people in different cu- currencies and the actual laws around what you can do in different countries and you know, I would say, you know, as, as a small company, you, you suddenly become an exporter. You know, mm-hmm. Us selling a, a small piece of software, we essentially have to deal with the same rules as someone, you know, shipping bits of machinery somewhere, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so there's all sorts of weird things, you know, in terms of VAT that we have to deal with. And, and that's all just incredibly complicated if, that is, if that's not your skill set and you've never encountered yeah. all this stuff before. And I guess as well, it's doing, I mean, you do a lot of sort of work with clients, um, even, even I'd say like doing, doing your support for Perch, mm-hmm. yeah. um, your customers are in, are in effect your clients. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and yeah, one of the things I'd like to talk to you a bit about is, is how you, um, how you manage support requests. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. because I know like as a perch customer myself <laughs> I'm sending I'm sending tickets at like 10 in the evening and uh, I even sent one while you were in hospital I yep. didn't realize it was in hospital, <laughs> but, um, but that was replied to very quickly. Um, and then I felt terrible because I <laughs> checked Twitter and like, wait, you're in A&E and you're, you're replying to my tickets. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, support really is, is our biggest sort of expense and our biggest use of time, really. Um, mm. if you, you know, if you're talking about our, our hours as, as an expense. Um, but it's kind of a necessary thing because I think that's the big, differentiate if you've got a, a paid product uh, like perch which has free competitors you know one mm. of the things that sets us apart is that there's someone to help you yeah. um, and so you know we really want to help our customers have a good experience so we really try and do as much as we can to help them you know um, whether that's sort of just on installation or questions about how best to implement something or, or what have you um, yeah. So yeah, so we, we we do spend an awful lot of our time doing doing support. Yeah, and are you happy doing that? Yeah, I think it's really important that the developers of a product do support, because if you don't, I mean, you know, really all the things we've added to Perch over the years have been really based on what people have told us in support, or where we've yeah. seen that people are falling over on stuff. You know, we, we really want to try and design out of the software those places that people trip up. And we only find those places by supporting people and sort of saying, hang on, this has come up again. You know, this is the third time today I've seen someone struggling with this. Now, yeah. if that, if, if, if three people are coming to support, how many others, you know, are, you know, quietly yeah, quietly nothing. just not understanding and <laughs> spending through. ages and muddling through and eventually figuring it out. And so we want to try and remove those sticking points as much as possible. So as a developer doing your own support, the impetus is, is there for you to improve your product and get rid of as much of the support as possible because the product becomes easier to use. Yeah. Um, you'll never get rid of all of it because there's always going to be people who it's the first time they've done anything like this before and they need a bit of help. Yeah. Um, and there's always people who won't read the documentation no matter how good it is. They'll always come into support rather than read the documentation. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, but, but generally, you know, the things that you see re sort of repeatedly – um, are often things that you can deal with I mean, in all sorts of ways, sometimes by doing something in the product, other ways by creating, and the videos work really well for Perch. Uh, when I put the videos up, that cut an awful lot of support queries with sort of the initial mm -hmm. stages because people could go and watch and learn and, and follow along. Um, so there's lots of ways in which you can sort of try and help people out before they turn up in support or at least give them something you can quickly say to them, oh, we've got a video about that, it's here and yeah. then that's dealt with and how do you um i mean do you still work with clients how do you kind of balance doing client work with doing your own product work um it was kind of a slow pro sort of process of moving over now we really only we have one main client we've got a couple of people who we've worked with for a long time and so sometimes have bits and bobs that they ask us to do still on, on things that we built in the past um, we have one arts festival client who we who we still work with um, because we you know we, we really enjoy doing that work. But other than that, we're now all perch really, mm -hmm. um, which which is brilliant. And and before that, I mean, it was kind of just I mean, at first when we launched, we were still 100% client work, mm -hmm. and kind of over the sort of, sort of about three years, we realised that well we don't need to do as much client work. So we were taking on less and then sort of assigning some of that time to perch development. Yeah. Um, and so that, so really we just, we're treating 
perch like another client essentially and yeah. and as time's gone on it's t- it's basically taken over more of more of the business um and uh, which is which is brilliant you know because we're, we're able to now invest an awful lot of time in in developing it and creating add-ons for it and helping people with it mm-hmm. and do you want to one day move into just just having perch and having no clients um, as I say, I mean, really, the, the client that we're that we are mainly working with are because we we really like them and we enjoy doing their work and it's interesting work. Um, I think we we wouldn't necessarily need to have clients at this point, um, mm. but it's fun to do something different. It's fun to do something that's on a larger scale, yeah, and where we can do a different sort of thing. Um, so, so I think it's quite nice, to, and I think going forward, that's probably how we'll work. You know, if there's bits of consultancy we can do. Um, perhaps helping other people get things started. I'm quite keen on doing that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, at this point, you know, we're both very, very experienced developers and really that the value we can bring to a project is often a lot more in terms of helping people get started in the right way yeah. rather than having us write the PHP. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that's probably, in terms of client work, that's probably more the direction we'd like to go is, you know, in more in a sort of consultancy role potentially for people who, perhaps just want some experience to help them get things started out. Mm-hmm. And how do you find things like the sort of work and life balance? Um, <laughs> well, it, yeah, well, you see, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, Perch takes over our life. You know, we answer support tickets at 10 o'clock at night and when mm-hmm. I'm in hospital. And, but that's okay. Because, <laughs> yeah, but that's okay because in other ways, you know, we've not now got a whole load of clients. I mean, you know, when I was in hospital, I didn't have any clients to let down. Mm. So, yeah, I was sitting there doing bits of support. I was answering emails. I was pottering around. But no one was being let down by that. Um, so there is a huge amount of flexibility there. You know, we know we've got a whole bunch of things over the next month that we want to do for Perch. Mm. But actually, when we do them, it doesn't really matter. And yeah. so if it's a nice day and, you know, we just decide to go out, um, before I would have been going out running on my bike, but I can't do that now, but I can go for a walk. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, but it, you know, we, we've got that flexibility and yes, we have to keep checking the support and yes, you know, in some ways that, that ties us down. Um, in other ways, we have an awful lot of balance because we can say, oh, you know, let's go and do this today. Yeah. Um, because we know how much stuff we've got to do. So, I think it's having an attitude of, of, of it kind of being integrated. You know, it's 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 part of our lives. We don't work nine to five anymore because that doesn't make any sense with an international business. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't really matter that sometimes we're answering support tickets late at night because yeah. we know that, you know, oh, we're going to go and we're doing something else tomorrow morning or, or whatever. It, it doesn't matter. Um and that's kind of made easier, I think, by the fact that, you know, we are a couple as well. And so, you know, we're both doing this and it's not a problem. Um, mm-hmm. But I, th- I think, you know, if, if your work is part of your life, if it's not something that you see as being, um, oh, I've got to, you know, get my work done so I can go and have some fun now. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if that's how you if that's how you feel. And to be honest, actually, when before we really launched Perch, I was starting to get a bit like that about business. I've been doing client work for a very long time. Um, I was getting quite tired of it. I think we both were. We were getting tired of, the, you know, the constant demands of a lot of other people on our mm-hmm. time. And sometimes quite unreasonable demands. But, of course, everybody's project seems very important to them. 
Um, so the the product, in a way, although it actually does mean we kind of have to be on a lot more <laughs> mm-hmm. and we have to be available a lot more to to lots of different people, it's 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 different to to client work mm-hmm. where someone feels that they're you're doing a very big project to them, so really they should own you for that time. Yeah, um, you know, um, it's it's diff- it's a different dynamic with the customers, I think. Yeah, and I guess you you get a lot more customers so mm. that you you have to deal with. Um, yeah. yeah, I just yeah, I wonder how you like. What if you want to go on holiday or something? Do you, do you we still answer, do that? Yeah, we answer support tickets. You know, wherever. I mean, you know, most of it is just a case of you know a lot of them we can do from a phone. You know, or we you know we both each have or we've both got MacBook Airs. We have those with us and mobile broadband and. You know, I do support from airports. I do support from, you know, over Wi-Fi all over the place. Yeah. It's it's actually not as intrusive as you'd think if you don't get stressed out by it. If you yeah. see that as just part of your life and it's, you know, that's okay. This week's sponsor is Hammer for Mac. Hammer for Mac is an app for people like me who write HTML. So you can use your favorite code editor and Hammer sits in the background. What it does is it takes your production files and compiles them into a build folder which is inside of your project. So when you say files, it does lots of nifty things like it compiles SAS and CoffeeScript. It lets you use HTML includes, and these are a bit like PHP includes, but they're better than PHP includes because they let you use something called Clever Paths. And what that does is it lets you just write the file name to an image or a script or a style sheet so you don't have to write the full path. And it will really speed up your workflow Things like when you hit save, it reloads the browser to save your keystrokes. And um, this is my favorite bit. If you want if you want to show the client a site that you're working on, you just click on the publish build button and that saves your site to the space that Riot provide for free. And that gives you a URL that you can share with your client. And I've really enjoyed using Hammer and I really think you should try it out for the next project. You should especially try it if you haven't tried SAS before and you want to give it a go. So give the 14-day trial a go, and when you're ready to upgrade, it's only $16.99 in the App Store, um, in the Mac App Store, or $23.99. And if you go to our special URL, that's uh, hammerformac.com forward slash unfinished, they'll know we sent you. So we've got a few questions in from listeners, and um, I feel like you'd be best place to answer some of them. Like there's one on insurance, and I remember a few years ago, um, you recommended an insurance provider to me and, and, and gave me tips on sort of what insurance I'd need to look for. Um, Gaga Martin's written in and he's asking what sort of insurance he needs. Um, will he need something like professional indemnity insurance if he's doing things like, um, changing name servers? You know, what, what would you recommend to someone starting a web business? What, in, what sort of insurance do they need? Okay. So. Professional indemnity insurance is sort of the main thing. I mean, that basically covers you if you make a mistake or, yeah. or you know, so someone believes you've made a mistake. And so the, the, the thing with that, it can be reasonably expensive. Um, but a, a lot of the time, you know, if, if someone decides to um, take you to court over something, um, yeah. quite often the, the insurers will actually have a clause where they'll actually sort it out outside of court as well if it, if it looks like it's going to be cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could just, it could just save you a lot of hassle. I've never had to call on hours. I've used ours for advice before, before doing something. Um, mm-hmm. but I've never actually had to use it, but I'm very glad we have it because if someone does turn around and say, Hey, you made this mistake. Yeah. Whether, whether or not you really did, you know, if, if 
someone is 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 going to go down that route, it's nice to know that you've got an insurer. You can ring them up. You can get advice from them before you do anything or say anything. Mm. So so yes, yeah, so that that's that's you know what I mean as professional indemnity insurance. And I'd say really that I would suggest that most people have something like that. Um, yeah, one of the examples I was given because I rang up my insurance company last week to to renew my policy and also used it as an opportunity to kind of ask him a few questions for this show. Um, and one of the examples they gave was if you, as a web designer, you type in the wrong uh, phone number or something on mm-hmm. for the website and you don't spot it, and for weeks the client doesn't get any phone calls and any business and then they turn around and say that was your fault I lost this much business because you put the phone number in wrong yeah um, that sort of thing yeah and they can be helpful with things like if um, you know a client's refusing to pay your invoice and they're saying that they're not paying it because you've done something wrong and you want to take them to court but then there's mm-hmm. potential, you know there's that possibility that you'll lose um, your insurer can usually help in those kind of situations as well um, that you know yeah. would, would you be covered if if you did this and so that you know that i'd say that fresh indemnities really is vital if you're doing this stuff because just because it's so devastating if you know the financial implications if someone does actually take you to court and they win yeah and do you do you know the difference between um if you're running your own business as a company like a limited company or if you're sole trader i think it's pretty much the same um situation except obviously you'd be covering you might if there's more than one of you you'd be covering you know everyone in the company rather than than just the individual yeah um i mean there's other things you might have to think about as well if 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 you are if you want to employ anyone you're going to need employer's liability insurance um in case anything happens to your employee so that's worth remembering because i think often people think they can just sort of take someone on and as long as they're paying them it's you know um but there are there are things like that you need to think about and then just in stuff like having cover for all your kit you know is your laptop insured and stuff yeah Um, if it just blew up tomorrow what would you do if you you lose it or you get it gets nicked or whatever um and i think as well it's worth actually thinking about this you know cover for if you can't work yeah um and we've you know we've talked actually bizarrely enough i actually closed my I, I used to have when we were all services and when particularly when I was just doing the business on my own I had cover so that if I was ill or injured and couldn't work for a long period of time mm. I'd, I'd you know get some money from the insurers to sort of just cover bills and whatever yeah. um, I actually cancelled that because we came to the realisation that actually our income doesn't stop if one of us gets ill or injured right, at this point because it's passive income yeah because you know and also I'd have to do something very, very serious to not be able to work at all. I mean, I'd, I'd just come out of um, six hours of surgery, you know, the next day, and I was answering emails and things. Yeah. You know? Well, that's just you. <laughs> right, maybe that's just me. But I think but I think generally, in the sort of business we're in, um, particularly if you're not client-based, mm. um, you know, you can actually ride out. And if you've got the sort of financial buffer that, that you were talking about in a previous show with Andy, you know, you, you can ride out a a period of not being able to work or only being able to work at half half capacity or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's actually quite hard for us to prove in our industry that we're not working. Yeah. Because to actually claim on this kind of insurance, you, you know, the, you actually have to be not working at all. Um, yeah. And how do you prove that? If you can answer emails, are you working? Are you, do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's actually really difficult. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so, yeah. But that is something you can consider. And, and there's different kinds of policies. And the more you pay, the better a sort of policy you can get in terms of how long you have to wait before you can claim and things. Yeah, I've I've actually taken that out. Um, that's something I just started doing this year. Yeah. Um, just to help me sleep at night. You know, I yeah. just hate to think if I got, if I were in a serious accident or something mm-hmm. um, and I couldn't do any work, you know, how would I pay the bills? It's my only form yes. of income. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that is definitely something to consider, particularly for people who are doing this who've got dependents. You know, I've I've always been doing this with with my daughter as a dependent on me, mm. so that's always been at the back of my mind. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, while we're on the subject, we last year took out Booper Healthcare, um. and this I I spent the five days I spent in hospital on the private ward in the hospital where I had a private room and I could sit and do some work. Right. Um, and that probably saved my sanity. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you can afford it, you know, private insurance, it also, I mean, the reason we actually took it out was because we were sort of thinking, well, what if one of us injures our back? You know, I've known people who've had to wait 18 months on an NHS waiting list. Yeah. Um, we're really, really lucky to have the NHS and to have that kind of cover, but really, and they're great when it's a critical thing. You know, I was blue lighted into hospital and, um, I was operated on the same day. Um, you know, we were very, very lucky in this country to have that healthcare. However, for non-critical things, you can wait quite a long time on a waiting list. And yeah. what would that do to your business? And injuries like things like RSI, mm. you know, they do happen. And yeah. you can be off work for, for months. Yeah. And, you know, if you're young enough to not have things that will be excluded from your policy because you've not had any serious illnesses yet, um, you know, getting health insurance may well be the best thing you do to protect your business yeah because if you slip a disc in your back and you can get into hospital and get it treated very quickly and get the rehab you need and get back to work uh, that's that's going to allow you to carry on whereas if you end up having to take a long time out waiting for an operation um that's potentially really bad so yeah in my experience (laughs) it's worth it for investigating uh um you know private health insurance in, in the uk yeah, that's really good advice. Are there any other kind of insurance policies that you think people should get? And that's probably the main things. I mean, you know, I think if you're doing work for big companies and things like government organisations, often they will demand that you have a certain level of insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm working for a client at the moment and it was actually in my contract Yes, I have to have PI insurance. Yes, yeah. So... You often, you know, we ended up with a ridiculous level of insurance because of one particular job we did. Um, mm. And their, their reasoning was, well, yes, and that, that was the, the public insurance. And it was, well, what if you bring your laptop into our building and it explodes and causes a fire? <laughs> and injures other people. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, what sort of laptops? you think? But anyway, so that, you know, you may find actually that someone you want to work for demands that you have a certain level of insurance and that you maintain yeah. it for a certain number of years. And you don't want to wait until that happens. Um, yeah, um, but it's worth you know it's worth uh, worth checking you know what people are asking. If you're taking on a job and it's a small job, and then they're expecting you to have a huge amount of insurance, yeah. it may not actually be worth taking on that job if you've got to push your cover up to such a level. Yeah, um, that's that's a really good point. So Alan Kirk's written in asking about subcontracting work. Um, so he's got a lot of client work on, and he's he's wondering whether he should. Um, whether he, he should subcontract work or 
or if he should take someone on full time? Sort of, how do you make that decision? Yeah, I mean, we essentially worked as a company, really, as as some subcontractors for a long time. Um, we were working mainly for design agencies doing their development work. So they'd get a job in they couldn't cope with and, um, you know, it was outside their skill set or, or they just, you know, weren't interested in doing that kind of work. And so it would get passed on to us. So we've actually been really the subcontractor. Um, mm. but, you know, most of our, our client work, that, that's really how we were acting. And of course, we, you know, we've also contracted people to do stuff for us either because of overflow or just because it was something that we didn't do. Um, you know, back in the days when people did a lot of flash stuff, you know, we didn't really do that. So we used to often get people to do that sort of thing when they came in. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really difficult when you're making that decision. I mean, if you're, if you're taking someone on full time, that's actually quite a, as a business, that's quite a big decision to make. Uh, yeah, not, and not the point really. Alan makes is that, he'd, you know, he'd like to take someone on full time, but not have to deal with that kind of employment side of yeah. things. Yeah, All, the, thing, I mean, all the, the stuff that comes with it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the, if you've already got an accountant who does stuff for you, a lot of the, I think a lot of the, the business of having an employee, it, it, it's not, it's not too complicated, particularly if you're already like a limited company and so essentially you're on the payroll and things. It, it's not perhaps as complicated as you might think. Um, but you do need to know you've got enough work to support that person for, yeah, on, you know, an ongoing basis. Um, I mean, with, with subcontracting, I think, a lot of it is being is being very organised. As someone who's been a subcontractor, what we tend to find is that people would get us in. They'd say, "Here's a chunk of work," and then they'd disappear. Yeah. And we'd have any questions, and then and they'd almost be annoyed that we were asking them questions because they're kind of like, "Well, we've we've given you this development work, so we don't have to do it. You know, go <laughs> go, go away and do it. Um, <laughs> you know." So I think. It's easy to underestimate. You sort of think, oh, well, if I get someone else to do this, then I don't have to worry about it. Mm. Um, it's worth thinking about the amount of time you're going to have to spend with that person to make sure that the work is done to the standard you want um, and that they're fulfilling what you've promised your clients. Because if you don't have that dialogue, they might do something completely different to what you actually said to the client was going to happen. Yeah, and I guess if you're a one-man band, you, you kind of have to turn into a bit of a project manager. Yes, point. yeah, and that even with big companies that often just doesn't happen um and so i think you know having subcontractors can work really well and we've had really good relationships with with people who have subworked to us and, the, and and people that we've subworked to but you do have to assign part of your time to managing that person and that relationship and making sure particularly in the early days i mean if you've got someone you're using a lot then you get to a point where there's an awful lot more there's trust and you understand how each other work and they understand the sort of things you'll have promised your client and what the expectations are. And so as you go along, it gets a lot easier. But certainly initially, um, you need to expect to spend quite a bit of time, I think. Yeah. You know, working alongside that person, whether that's, whether they're remote or, or, or actually coming into your office, you, you, you're going to need to spend some time with them. Yeah. Um, Something that that I like to do when I'm uh, when a project comes along where it clearly needs certainly needs a designer um, to complement me doing the development. Um, I'll just recommend people to the client, and so that they can they can deal with the things like invoicing and um, yeah, yeah. I mean that's we've worked in that way as well sometimes. Um, and I think you need to think about how you want this. Yeah, how you want to put this across to your client. You know, do you say to your client? Um, 
I'm doing all the work and then you're, you're subbing it out to someone. That's kind of a very old-fashioned way. When I first started doing this, that happened all the time. People yeah. really didn't want their client to know that someone else was doing any of the work. Um, and it was kind of around the same time where, people, where a lot of people thought that, you know, it was a great idea to outsource all their development work to, you know, a company in India or whatever. Hmm. Um, and, yeah, this sort of idea that people would be hidden and it would make them look <laughs> like a bigger company or they would, you know, want me to have their, you know, an email address at their company hmm. that the client could talk to me at and that I should pretend to be part of their company and things and that attitude seems to have gone away to an extent I think people are generally happier to say well we're not web development specialists yeah. we're web designers and so we use this company who are specialist web developers and they are going to be doing the content management system yeah. and generally people I think are happier and and you know and actually can use our credentials to get the work um, yeah. but certainly in the past you know there was that kind of try and hide the subcontractor away um mm. and if you you know if you're doing that you do need to make sure that legally you know what happens to the subcontractor doesn't do the work and yeah. if there are if there are ndas and things are they also you know are they complying with that um it, it is kind of easier if the client is aware of the whole you know the whole group of people who are working on something um yeah i'd just be too worried about them doing a runner yeah yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's it is a bit of a minefield, and I think actually the more transparent, and the more honest everything is, the easier it is. Yeah, because um, you know you don't have those issues where you're worried to let the client know that somebody else is working on the thing or, or what have you. Yeah, um, and and generally, I much prefer to work in a sort of a, a transparent way. Um, I think it is important that the client has one point of contact, um, and you don't have the client going, you know, going to the subcontractor directly for things mm. that probably should be going through the person who's managing the project. Uh, I, worked on, um, I read a, a book quite a while ago. Someone gave me a conference um, called Noded, and that was about the, the concept of, of you, you basically form a team of people who um, they're only there to work on that specific project. And then at the end of the project, you kind of disband and... Yeah. Um, I really like that approach. I really like the idea of, of working with the right people for the job at mm. the right time. Yeah. Um, but they talked a bit about how, how you kind of need someone for like a, a project manager role. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And you need all of these different, all these different roles and someone to sort of bring it all together and you will need to be using the same software. And, um, it also talked a bit about the kind of having noted as like, uh, as a kind of brand to say, I'm a, I'm a noted person. So you know that I'm going to work this way. Right, I just that, quite like yeah. that idea. Yeah, I've not seen that. That's, that. that sounds cool. I think, yeah, I, mean, it, I think really it tends to be where these relationships fail does tend to be on a project management basis. Yeah. Um, just making sure everyone's kind of keeping, keeping yeah, every, up. And everyone knows what is happening because, you know, sometimes you can get into these situations where there are several people who are doing bits of something. Yeah. Um, and... And unless you sort of set the expectations, um, I mean, we've had situations where working for much bigger companies, sort of big design agencies and things, where there's lots of different people doing design work, and um, over the course of a project, you might deal with several of them. Yeah. Um, all of whom want something a bit different, and so as, as working different ways, yeah, things like so as, differently. Yeah, and and you don't quite know as the subcontractor who 
who you should be listening to, you know. Yeah. Um, and that is, it's quite difficult. And, and yeah, as I say, and generally the expectation in those situations is that the developers will just get on with it, you know, mm. just go away and do it. It's, we don't, we don't <laughs> like this stuff. Covered. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't like doing this. That's why we've got you doing it. So can you please just do it? Um, <laughs> so yeah, and, and that's, that's no fun for anyone. Um, no. I think, yeah, and, and generally it's, it's been at, at making sure that, that the project is, is managed from, from some point. Um, and that, yeah, the, the expectations of the client get passed right down the tree. Yeah, because you don't want them to get screwed over because of poor management. Yeah. And I mean, you get, the, and you get the same situation in large companies, I think, you know, where um, whoever's sold the project to the client has promised all sorts of things. <laughs> um, and then by the time it gets to the developers, you're going, uh... It's kind, <laughs> you know? of, it's kind of like Chinese whispers as well. The more kind of yeah. levels that you have between the client and you that makes things much more difficult because you're missing out layers of communication. Yeah. And I think if you work with a subcontractor a lot, you know, you get to a position where, you know, we had clients who could just drop us a line and say, well, we're pitching on this work and we're going to say this. Um, it, does that sound realistic? Mm. You know, and just getting a bit of a ballpark feel that we're not going to freak out if they've promised something, you know. Yeah. Um, so... So yeah, I think it can work really well. I think you need mm-hmm. to find people you enjoy working with and that you can communicate with very easily. And accept that at the start of the relationship, you're probably going to have to spend quite a bit of work just managing that person and making sure they understand the expectations yeah. of, the, of the project. And as you go on, if you can find someone who you work with, you know, project after project after project, that'll get a lot easier. Mm. Um, but I think it's accounting for that in, in the first place. Yeah, being aware of it, knowing it's going to happen. Yes, yeah. I just want to take a moment to thank our second sponsor, FreeAgent. So FreeAgent is a web app that helps you manage your expenses and invoices, and it's built by a lovely team up in Edinburgh. So when you import bank statements into the app and explain business transactions, it helps you work out how much tax you owe. But that's not it. It has a load of really handy features, like you can use it to create estimates and invoices, which you can even customise with CSS. So I get it to automatically send a reminder email to a client if an invoice goes overdue, and I've talked about that in previous episodes. And you can also get it to send a thank you email when you've been paid. It has a dashboard that shows your graph with real-time cash flow, so, so I know how much money is due to come in and how much I've got going out and whether I'm making a profit. And there's also a new feature I've been trying out beta of, and that's automatic bank fees. And this is getting rolled out to everyone in the next few weeks. Um, there's just been an announcement about that. I'm really excited about it. It basically pulls in your statements every day. And that means that you don't have to look at your bank's ugly website so much. You can use FreeAgent on your mobile, tablet or laptop. So I fill in my timesheet and expenses in the app on the train every week, and it works out how much I need to invoice. And they've worked really hard to make that experience as easy, painless and beautifully designed as possible. I've set up special access within the app for my accountant. So he sees all the information that he needs and he says he really likes it too. You can set up an unlimited number of users for each account and choose what permissions and access you give them. All of the data is backed up several times an hour to a secure server so that your data is safe and Fragent uses 256-bit SSL technology to encrypt your data and that means it's the same encryption standard as banks. And the best bit? They have a team of dedicated in-house support accountants who you can call or email if you have a question about using Freeagent. 
and the team hosts regular individual getting started sessions to make sure you're all set up correctly, as well as a series of webinars taking you through an introduction to free agent and walking through all of the features. And they've got a free 30-day trial, so give it a go. You don't need a credit card and you can cancel any time. So let them know we sent you at freeagent.com forward slash unfinished business. That's all one word. And have a look at Free Agent's Twitter feed, which is at Free Agent, because they tweet regular tax tips um, like this one, which is uh, if you travel to work by bicycle, you may be able to claim tax relief on 20p per mile. So we've got another question. Um, this is from uh, this is from someone who's asking about um, clients who have a sort of technical guru or IT person that you have to deal with. And um, he says here, turns out that they are abomination on legs. <laughs> so how would you how would you deal with that how would you sort of deal with someone who uh is working for a client who probably isn't giving very good advice um yeah i mean we've encountered those on a few occasions um i mean the, the ones who are just like their mate who knows a bit about computers are generally fairly easy to to deal with mm. um, by just backing up everything that you say i mean what i tend to do actually is if I'm giving any advice, so I'm saying this is best practice or you shouldn't do this because, and I think it's a bit easier with technical stuff rather than design because, you know, it, it's, um, it, it's very it's objective. It's kind of quantifiable. Yeah, but I'll tend to back it up with something that somebody else is saying about it. So if I can find a good source for why you shouldn't do this, you know, why a capture might be a problem you know, and here's some accessibility issues or, you know, whatever it is, you know, I try and back it up. I don't just say, I don't like that or I don't yeah, think you should do that. Because I say so. Yeah, exactly. I, I always, so, so if they've got someone who's kind of in their ear going, nee, 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 you know, <laughs> why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they, you know, doing this SEO thing or whatever it is, <laughs> um, you know, I, I've got something that I can reply with and explain why the method we're taking, you know, why that route is what I would recommend. Um, yeah. So that's one thing. And that tends to deal quite nicely with, you know, their mate down the pub who <laughs> has ideas about this stuff. Um, what can be a lot harder um, is the internal IT person who believes they know about everything um, <laughs> and will be sat in on meetings and believes their mission is to trip you up. Mm. Um, and I've encountered this um Big organizations and to the universities and places often have, you know, a resident techie. Yeah. Um, who's, you know, usually responsible for everything from, you know, the security of, of servers to make sure people can log in on their computers to, you know, they've, they've got a very, very broad remit and therefore probably aren't a specialist at any of it. But mm. because they, particularly in organizations like, like academic institutions where it's very flat, they're yeah. kind of the, you know, the, the organization structure. They're kind of God in their domain. And I think it's, it's good to find out their motivations for doing that. Do they feel like you're kind of, mm. that you're a threat? Do they feel like, um, yeah. you're going to ask them to do things that they don't know how to do? Yeah. I think there's, there's all sorts of reasons, but I think they're very used to being the person who get, who has the final say over anything technical and yeah. someone from the outside, from an, an external company coming in, um, really, you know, they're not, they're not going to like it too much. Yeah. Um, I think it's something you have to be aware of, certainly as, as a contractor, when you go into, when you go on site, you know, just, just acknowledge that the people who work there are going to see you as an outsider. They're going to see you as someone who's just sort of, you know, 
disregard all the things that you do and and tell you how to do things that you know a lot of people are kind of worried that that's what you're going to be yeah I think there's it depends on the personality I mean sometimes with that person um if you can find a common area of interest um I mean I'm like a massive nerd so it's usually (laughs) quite easy for you know if if you've got you know sort of find something that they're obviously interested in yeah. and you can find a common area of interest and then they're like oh this person's okay this sometimes person they just like want me. yeah sometimes they just want to know that you're competent so once they've sat in a meeting with you and realize that you know what you're talking about yeah they'll back off um but other times they won't <laughs> um and uh you know i had one situation where we were being made to jump through ridiculous security hoops which really didn't have any basis in you know any real security it was kind of like he got an idea of, of what security was and, and we were going to have to do various things yeah um and ultimately i i spotted while doing some work that actually their uh, one of their servers the server that held all the sort of user information um in the organization was wide open to the internet yeah and i could download all that information just from anywhere and i told him about that and he left me alone really after that point. So, <laughs> you know, it was, it's kind of, it's, I mean, he was, he was a difficult character, but generally, um, you know, a lot of people, I think if you can show that you are competent and yeah. aren't there to try and trip them up or to take their job or whatever, then, then it's okay. Yeah. I think as well, kind of taking into account what they've got to say. Um, mm. so if they, if they make recommendations, don't just immediately jump on, no, they're wrong. You know, think about what are their motivations for, for having that decision. Is it something, um, is it something political that you don't know about? Is it, um, maybe some, you know, there there might be genuinely just trying to, I mean, (laughs) yeah. And also that person can become a really good ally. Yeah. Um, you know, if you've got someone within an organization who understands the organization, and understands what people are worried about. Um, they can be a really good ally. Uh, just, but unfortunately, they do sometimes become that person who says, "Well, we tried that ten years ago and it didn't work." Yeah. Um, and that's that's a really difficult attitude to to work against. Yeah. Um, it's something something I I remember back when I was starting out. Um, there was one project where there was a there was a guy who. I think he, he was kind of a hobbyist web designer and he was, um, he didn't like the, I I got the feeling he didn't like the fact that I was working on the project and he'd take every opportunity to, to kind of, to undermine me or say that I'm making a bad decision to the point where it's like, you know, I I don't think you should use CSS. Um, and you know, I I heard it's not very browser compatible and, um, or I, I, I think you should do things this way and, and, and I'd come out with, you know, I'd, I'd show him, oh, this is, this is, um, the WCAG 2 guidelines. Um, this is, you know, this is a print out of an article about, uh, how you can use CSS now. And, you know, I, I wouldn't just say, oh, because I think it's the right thing to do. I, I, I would back it up with, yeah. um, other people and, yes, you I know, th- from prominent sources. And I think that's always the way to go. I think if you can keep things away from just, well, you know, I, with all my grand experience, think that you should be doing this. You know, if you can get yeah. into, yeah, this is what is accepted best practice. Yeah. And sort of take it back to them and say, you know, is is there a specific reason 
in you know in your understanding of of how this organization works is is there a specific reason why this wouldn't work yeah. can you explain to me why this wouldn't work because a lot you know then that kind of diffuses those knee jerk reactions to just anything that the contractor says exactly is going to be wrong you know? <laughs> um, but it is really it is really difficult especially when you are that outside person yeah and you know you're, you're trying to do your job and and you're getting that sort of roadblock um it is really very difficult yeah and it can it can really put a damper on a project if you've if you've got that kind of blocker if you've got someone who's who's kind of being aggressive or um, trying to make you look stupid in front of people Mm -hmm. Um, have have you ever had a situation where you've actually left a a project because of an individual um no no i haven't have you Uh, yeah i mean we we have a clause in our in our terms that is you know we work with named people and we reserve the right to refuse to work with you know any person in the organization if you know because and that was purely because we had a situation where the client's project manager years ago it was a long time ago um the client's project manager was just horrendous and would just i don't i mean i don't know what his issue was but he would just he would just ring up and swear and shout Mm. and scream every time he didn't get his own way yeah Uh, for no apparent reason (laughs) there was was, it it really was that it was baffling there was nothing you know it was like you know any time that he felt that he wasn't getting his own way he would behave like this Mm-hmm. And, you know, after weeks of being, having someone swearing at you down the phone, you're just like, no, actually, I really don't want to work with this person. Yeah, <laughs> no, that, that makes um, complete sense. And so, you know, I got written into the terms that that was, and I think that's, that's a reasonable thing to do, particularly if you work with large organisations. You know, you reserve the right to say, I'm sorry, I really can't work with this person. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and back that up because nobody should be being treated like that. No. I just wonder um, what, what he'd be like to his employees. Well, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine actually having to work in the same building as him, but mm. it was bizarre. It was a very, very odd situation. <laughs> and you're sort of like, what exactly have I done to merit this? Yeah. <laughs> you know? how, did you, how did you approach that? How did you kind of, did, did you give him a warning? Yeah, I mean, I, I said to him and I, and I, I went, I just went further up and said, mm. you, you know, we, we can't work with someone who is, is behaving like that to, yeah. you know, to us that it's just unacceptable you know anytime someone's yelling and screaming it is you know that's not a professional way to behave no um if you have people in your organization who treat anyone like that you know what are you doing mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's not it's not gonna it's not gonna uh, help any any relationship or any work get done um but really that's me i mean generally most people are good to work with um and those that aren't often you can find out you can kind of figure out why yeah um and what it is that they're worried about or what they're being stressed about. Um, yeah. yeah. How do you go about finding work? Um, we were very, very lucky, really. I mean, when I, I, I started the company with no idea how I was going to find any work and I was doing bits of web development that people had that they didn't know how to do it was mainly pearl and things uh, back then mm. <laughs> and yeah <laughs> yes because i'm old mm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so it, and it really was just a case of one job led to the next um i think because we're developers that may be slightly easier than designers you know because people always need things fixing yeah particularly then i mean when i started the company it was sort of really just after the sort of dot-com crash 
And I think what had happened was a lot of companies got rid of their development teams. Mm. So the, the company had survived, they were still there, but they had to know that they were that a site that had been built or what have you, and they were able to sort of limp along. But they didn't have, they couldn't afford developers anymore, so they'd got rid of their developers. And right. then something would go wrong. <laughs> and they'd need someone to fix it. And, you know, so I did quite a bit of that sort of stuff, yeah. you know, because I've always been reasonably good at poking around in someone else's code and Ooh, sorting fun. out. <laughs> so, yeah. But, you know, at the time, that was the sort of work that there was. Mm. Um, and then, you know, if, if you do a good job for someone in that, then you might end up getting some better work next time because they're like oh well this person was good they helped us out yeah um and so it was always just really you know one job would lead to another in the early days I used to a bit of sort of networking like business networking you know going to these events and handing out business yeah. cards and things like that which is uh not my natural habitat but um, <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I mean that really mostly it's that it's word of mouth yeah um I mean, that's been the sort of interesting thing, really, moving to more product-based stuff, is that you do have to advertise a product. You, you know, you can't you can't get away from that. Yeah. And that's not a natural thing that, that we're used to doing. So that's been quite a learning curve, really. I remember when, when I first started out, um, I went to Business Link startup meetings. Um, oh, yes, yeah. And they were just things like how to, how to do your bookkeeping, how to kind of, how to start out. And I went to one of them. And at the end, you know, you, you do kind of introductions. You say, hi, I'm, I'm so and so. I'm setting up a business. Yeah. When I mentioned I'm, I want to be, um, I'm setting up a web development business. Yeah. Everyone suddenly like <laughs> looked very excited. Um, and they were all asking for my business cards because all of them were wanting a website. Um, because they, they were all starting businesses. Um, yeah. and so I ended up going to quite a few of them. <laughs> So, yeah, so, I mean, that, that's it. If you can find, if, if, you know, if you are taking on small business websites, then that kind of business networking is probably going to be a really good way to get clients. Yeah. Because, you know, the sort of thing about people buying from people is absolutely true. You know, if someone meets you and they like you and they think that, you know, you, you're going to be a nice person to work with, um, then they're far more likely to get in touch with you than just, you know, someone they found via google search yeah and also if you're both starting out you've both got a lot more kind of you're both more willing to make mistakes because you both know how it feels yeah. <laughs> it's like you know it's my yeah. first project i'm going to make some mistakes and i'm still learning it's going to be slow people are very accepting of that when they're also in the same boat yeah and i think as well there's, there's quite a lot of in a lot of these local sort of networking groups that you find um, people really do want to find work for other people in the group yeah. and to pass on. You know, there's a lot of loyalty. Can, I mean, there are so, some of the networking groups are quite aggressive in that, in that you have to bring so many leads to the group oh, wow. and things. And I've, <laughs> I've never, no, I've, I've never really been part of anything like that, but I kind of hear they go on. Um, but you can find the more sort of gentler networking groups where people just, you know, they really feel that they want to help out other people who are a part of that group. Yeah. Um, I said the other thing I said, particularly if you know, if you do small business websites, you know, let people know in any other group that you're involved with. You know, so if you are someone who goes to the gym or run or you, you know, do whatever or you do, you sit outside your kids' dance classes or, you know, whatever it is you do, let people know that that's what you do. Yeah. And always kind of stack of business cards around. Yeah. (laughs) Because I find, I mean, we don't really do that kind of work and never have done. You know, we tend to work on larger projects. Um, Yeah. 
and and via via other agencies. But if I mention what I do, someone will invariably say, "Oh, I've been looking for someone to design a website." No, no, and I'm like, "Well, that's not really what I do." But people are always saying that, so you know, the work's out there. Um, Got a problem with my computer? Yeah, yeah. Can you fix my email? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I think it is worth making sure people know what you do and also that you're looking for work. Yeah. Um, I think one of the problems we've had in the past is that people have assumed we'd be really busy. Yeah. And so haven't got in touch with us when they've got things because they think, oh, well, they're always really busy. They always seem to be busy. Um, you know, sort of, oh, well, they're always talking on Twitter about how busy they are, <laughs> you know. So it's, it's also worth, you know, getting on Twitter or whatever and saying, hey, I've got availability for yeah this type of work having a big banner on your site mm, you know let you know let people let people in the industry know if you do if if you do subcontracted work for instance um you know let letting your contacts know that um you're available if if like you know say if a contract falls through or something you realize that oh hell you know next month i've got two weeks with no work booked in yeah um you know get on twitter and let people know yeah say because it's good bound to be someone you know who's sat there thinking how on earth am i going to get this website built yeah or there'll be Um, people with sort of complementing skill sets um so you know if you're a developer talk to other designers because they're likely to be looking for developers to work on a project Mm. yeah and that's that's really how we always found work was just via the people we knew and then one client telling another client and those kinds of sort of chains of things happening yeah um but you know you do have to let people know that you're there and that you're available and how do you how do you kind of target the right clients? How do you get the best work in? Do you kind of have a minimum budget? Um, is there a kind of minimum uh, number of weeks that you'll work on a project on? I think I think we were a bit unusual because we tended to have sort of longer term relationships with people who we do lots of bits for. Yeah. Um, you know, we we do one site and then we might do a small thing and then we might do a big one. You know, for the for the same same client. Um. I think you need to work out what's profitable for you. Mm. If you if it's if it's if you're an individual and um you know you can do a lot of very similar sort of sites quite quickly. Um and we see quite a lot of people who use perch, you know, they do sites for small businesses at quite a low cost because they don't give people that many options yeah. in terms of how it's going to be, which is great for a small business. They want a cheap website. Um the designer can make a good living out of doing that because they're doing enough of them. Um, and so that's, you know, that's fine. That's a fine way to, to, to make a living. And there's a need for that. Mm. You have to decide what you want to do. If you want to do really big, meaty projects that only take more than three months, you know, and you can really get into and things, then you have to be advertising that that's what you want to do. You have to be talking to people and saying, this is the sort of work that I do. And this is why yeah. I can add value. And what if you don't have that experience? Say you, you're doing small sites and you want to transition into doing bigger sites. How do you, how do you make that transition? I guess you've always worked on big, big sites. Well, not, not necessarily. I mean, it's, I think it's, I think you probably need to talk about the sort of stuff you want to be doing rather than the sort of stuff you are doing if you're in that situation. Yeah. So, you know, be perhaps writing about you know, things at a slightly larger scale um, or, you know, and, and talking to people who are, have got those kind of projects and showing how you, although you haven't got a huge track record of it, could handle it. Yeah. Perhaps because of past experience, you know, I mean, maybe you've come out of working for an agency and you've done that sort of stuff before um, or, or whatever, you know, I think, I think if, if you 
and you know we've had this problem in the past i think if you define yourself as a type of thing that's the sort of mm-hmm. work you get yeah so if you if you that have on your website that can be good but yeah it can be good, way. but if you want to move out of that, you yeah. need to start talking about the thing you want to be doing rather than the thing you are doing currently, um, because you very quickly get pigeonholed yeah. as someone who does this thing. Yeah, it took um, me a long time to transition from doing small sites to doing bigger ones, and I, I like doing small sites. And you know, when I, when I'm uh, whenever I'm working, I always think, oh, it would be nice to do just a little little site. But yeah. I think that. I, I just, I, I, I'm much better suited to working on sort of long-term projects where I can really see it through from start to finish. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's just about knowing what you're comfortable doing. And some people are comfortable doing the same thing, the same types of site, um, because they're, they're getting a lot of experience from it and they kind of have a, a specialism in that area, but other people like the variation. Thank you so much for being on the show, Rachel. That's cool. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, I hope we have you on again very soon. Hopefully um, your arm will be better by then. Though. Yes, <laughs> yes, I'll be too armed and typing again. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to having to write code with more than one hand. Yeah. <laughs> so you can find all the links that we've mentioned in this episode in the show notes and they're at unfinished.bz forward slash five. And to ask us questions and suggest topics, you can message us on Twitter at unfinishedbz. And how can people get hold of you? Um, probably Twitter's generally the best way to, to get hold, hold of me. I'm at Rachel Andrew on Twitter. Cool. Um, so you can email me at shehas at unfinished.bz. And if you want to email Andy, he's he has up at unfinished.bz. Or you can email us both at they have at unfinished.bz. Uh, see you next week. <laughs>